Are you a physical therapist who wants to pay off your student loans, gain financial independence, and have true autonomy in your work and your life? The best way to do that is to open your own practice. But how? What are the steps that practically guarantee your success? Well, that's what you're about to learn. The Performance Doc Academy podcast is your audio blueprint to opening your very own physical therapy practice. So let's go. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Performance Doc Academy podcast. We're your host. I'm Dr. Leon Knight. I'm Dr. Carrie Knight. And I'm Dr. Jared Cooper. And we have a great episode lined up for you. Um, We're going to talk about a topic in which I think it's very helpful for those that haven't started a practice and want to make fewer mistakes before they start their practice, right? And so um, we're going to talk about things I wish I knew before I got started. So we broke it down to the six things that, to me, are the most important things that you need to hit the ground running when you start your practice. We're going to jump into it. We have our expert. Dr. Which which one which one of us is the expert? I don't know. <laughs> we have our Who are you expert, talking Dr. about, Dr. Cooper? And you know what? Yeah, I, I have geez. to. When I mean expert, it's just a certain level of um, uh, reverence for Jared because Jared has done it uh, in a way in which we strive, Carrie and I strive to do it. And so, I want to start with Jared and ask him specifically: What was what's the first thing you would tell those listening? that they should know before they get started? I think number one would definitely be that you don't need a lot to get started. I mean, you can, you can, I mean, I think your story is probably more akin to starting with bare bones than mine because I started with a brick and mortar and you started renting space in a gym. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I probably would have gone the direction that you went, which is trying to get space. Um, If if I were to start something again here in in North Carolina, that's that's how I would do it. I, I would find a space in somebody else's space and, and leverage something that somebody else has built um, in order to get going. And, and, you know, there's a whole process for how you do that, but it, it really doesn't take much. I mean, I also think it depends upon what kind of niche you're in. I mean, if you're in an athletic niche, you, you might need a little more equipment than if you're just doing general ortho. But, I mean, you didn't start with, with a heck of a whole lot, and you were inside of a gym. So, I mean, how did you how did you essentially find that spot that you rented out of and make that relationship and get that going? For those who don't know, basically, y'all, why, don't you, why don't you tell them what, how you started and where you were at? Right. So I, I, you asked me how I got into the gym that I started at. I just sent out emails to all the gyms that I was like, in the area and I was interested in. And those that responded, I got a chance to you know, make a, do a tour and get a chance to know the owner or the manager in which I would have the most communication with while there. And you, you want to get a feel for the demographic too. Is this an athletic demographic? Is it is it in line with your niche and what you're trying to market to? And once I did that, I uh, settled in on the one the one gym that I ended up working out of. And the main things that I looked for when I did that was, do I feel like the owner and just the other workers there are they receptive? To having someone come in, do they think, oh man, like I, you know, do they do they think of it as a collaboration as opposed to just like, hey, you do your own thing, just pay me rent, right? So those are things that I was thinking about when I was making my decision. Once I found the best fit, I said, well, next, how much I gotta have in the lease 
that I can use the equipment because <laughs> I wanted to start with very little expenses as possible. All I wanted was, all I needed, I thought, was a computer to jot down notes, a phone, which I already had, to answer calls, make calls, and then I needed a table and a few things. And all I had was like a, <laughs> I had a little scraper, <laughs> so many words. I had some dry, I, I was able to dry needle and then um, some towels and lotion. <laughs> And honestly, the the gym we started in, they had actually previously had a massage therapist in that room, so he didn't even come with his own table. Like he came hey. with nothing. <laughs> when 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 you uh, you said lease, did you actually have like a written lease agreement with the gym owner? We did, and you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I thought they, I really owe them a lot, and grateful for the uh, just them giving me the opportunity to start and knowing how difficult it is to start as a, you start up your own practice. It was a private gym, private, um, privately owned gym. And so we started out with three month lease. The first couple of lease were three month lease because we wanted to make sure this was viable. And they actually recommended that or suggested that, which was brilliant. I was like, oh yeah, great. And we went up. Like every three months. Every three months, months we went up. And then once we got to a place where it was, Okay, I, this is I can make this work. We had a set rate, uh, flat rate. There, we didn't do any like uh, pay per patient or percentage per patient, and um, it worked out really good. When you started yeah, out, I you think... had a percentage. It was it per. It was per. No, no we no. did not. It was we from, did not. from the beginning. It was yeah, flat. It was flat. Mm-hmm. It was flat, but just different rates each. It, three, yeah, they started us very low to make sure you know just to help us out, and then right. I thought that was um, great. Was it a couple hundred bucks? Yeah. Three hundred bucks. Three hundred bucks. <laughs> what did you? Three hundred fin- bucks for like three hundred square feet. Okay. All right. So, and what did you finish with when you when you, right before you moved? What were you paying? A thousand. Okay. You think that was fair? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we paid. We paid. We paid eight hundred for, for most of our time there. Yeah. It was only a thousand the last year. And you had access that's to all, the entire everything space. Includes. Like to, but that's all, all everything included. Yeah, and we had a closed internet, off treatment room. Right. We oh, had internet. Oh, okay. 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 Right, we had a, we used their fax number, right? Like we, everything was included. That's cool. Mm-hmm. The toilets. Uh, <laughs> Yo, make sure the toilets are in your lease, man. Don't be leasing another one out toilets. <laughs> but also, yeah, we had like a three hundred square foot space with a door that could be closed. There was a sink in there. Can you imagine so they just was... they, they just bring you the bucket and they're like, no, no, it's not. In the <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have it in there. It's not in the lease. You don't get it. All right, that's and, pretty and cool. And also. Also, real quick. Oh, no, we're going to get in and jump into that. So that's great. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So you started out. You had a lease. You went in there. Now, when you first went in there, how many patients did you have like week one? Week one? Uh, two, maybe? <laughs> two. Yeah, because maybe one or two followed me. But uh, yeah, I didn't have many. Okay. So you had one or two patients a week, right? So, okay, let's just say you're making $100 an hour. Was that, is that about right okay. when you started out? So that's like... Well, oh, yeah, I was, right, I was charging one twenty. I had the rate of packages of three for three hundred. All right, all right. So let's keep it a hundred bucks, just for math's sake, right? So that's two hundred bucks yes. a week. So that's eight hundred bucks a month, and you started out paying three hundred bucks. So basically, right. month one, you're you're in the black five hundred bucks. Say that again. I'm in. You're in the black. You're 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 profitable you're month right. one. 
Yeah. Well, but then I'm bringing I'm bringing five hundred dollars to the to the dinner table with Carrie, and she's looking at like, um, you think this is gonna work? No, but, but you were in the negative. <laughs> but yes, you started your with question. nothing, and yeah, you yeah. were not in the negative. But to answer your question, you're absolutely right. Five hundred. Okay. Now I want to know. I want to know what that email looked like. Like when you cold, I guess cold emailed. Is there is there such a phrase cold email? Just cold calling. Well, there's cold email. Oh, but absolutely. If you send a cold email to a gym owner to try to get them to be like, hey, I want to use your space. What what did that Email say. Oh, and in so many words said hi. I'm, um, to whom? Hi, I'm. My name is Leon Knight. I'm interested in starting. I, I'm in the early phase of starting my own practice, physical therapy practice, and I would love to stop by and and discuss to you the possibility of collaborating, where I, I can lease or rent a room or space from you, in a way that we work together, where I'm a resource. If you're for your trainers or if anyone gets hurt at the gym, I can take a look at it immediately. But more importantly, uh, it allows it allows me and then that's where I would stop and just say and then from there you, you talk about more what you can do for the gym. It's always for the gym. It's always how you provide value, value to them. Like uh, free screens when like every, when they get a care package, a new pay, a new member, like that kind of thing. So it was more about that as opposed to let me leech off of your your um members it wasn't anything like that yeah i think that i imagine that has to be a concern that gym owners have that it's somehow they might see it as competition that you know if you'll you'll tell them to i mean i remember when i was doing workshops over at um lifetime i think it's a lifetime athletic club big gym uh, in jersey and one of the ways that we establish relationships to get patients from that gym is I would do workshops and seminars for their trainers. They had like 50 trainers. You got 50 trainers who love you, man, you got a great, that's like a great referral source. <laughs> right. right. Um, but I, I did something very important, which is when I walked in and I said, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I told him who I was, I told him what we were going to be working on. And I said, listen, I have a promise for every one of you trainers in the room. I said, if you ever send me a patient, you have my promise, my 100% guarantee. I will never tell them to stop working out. Cause that's the biggest fear trainers have, right? They refer mm. to physical mm -hmm. therapy. The physical therapist is going to say, you need to stop training right now until you, I said, listen, unless the person's dying, I'll never tell them to stop seeing you. I said, instead, what I'll do is I'll write a corrective exercise program, give it to the patient. They'll bring it to you and you just incorporate it into the workout. So it helped them, but they, it kind of, it kind of like assuaged that fear of I'm going to lose the person. And I like the way you did it too. Kind of like the mindset of what can I do for you as the gym owner and you're bringing value to the table. So there's really no big reason why they would say no, right? Yeah, most people, the big thing is now is one-stop shop, right? They already right, had right. a dietitian there, right? So it was more of this like, oh, yeah, we're holistic. We want it to be all kind of in-house, a massage therapist. And so I just played into it. Like, you, you, you have it all under one roof, right? And we, we all make sure that your members are taken care of taken care of and it's convenient for your members and that's all it was about and honestly when he whenever he sent those emails out i can't remember how many he sent out but he had at least three people three gyms interested right it just um, ended up being about location and the amount of um space that mm -hmm. we were looking for what if somebody doesn't have access to a gym i mean what if they live like somewhere where you know like where i'm at there's only two maybe three independently owned gyms then there's some big stuff like planet fitness and things like that right so let's say i hit those guys up and none of them are willing to rent space or they just don't feel like they have the space or whatever the case may be what's plan b i mean you could go to people's houses you can that's do the next home thing stuff. 
Right. I would start home. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat out of my home. I know some people would do that, like out of the garage or out of a spare room. I wouldn't have the traffic coming to yeah. your home. I mean, granted, I am, I do live by the do whatever it takes. I get that, and if I had to do it, I would. But I think being mobile, you know, would be another way of getting started until you can find the space or find a space that you are able to move into where it's more of a standalone. Yeah. I think in both of those scenarios, you basically need $0 down. Right. right. I mean, you right. don't need anything down. When I opened my practice, I did put some money into the space and I started with a space, but I essentially leased the smallest space I could find that would get the job done and spent the least amount of money I possibly could to build it out. And I definitely could have gone the gym rental uh, direction, but for me, because it was my second business and I had already opened a gym in, in New York City, I kind of knew what to expect. But when you're just getting into it, if you've never leased a space and you have to negotiate your rent, you have to negotiate right. the space, the build out. I mean, ha now that you guys have a nice, big, beautiful space, you know what it takes to open a space. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. exactly easy. <laughs> so I, I think your approach is absolutely golden for someone that's just starting out and is apprehensive about, well, I don't have any money to start. Well, you don't need it. I don't have any patience. Well, you don't need that either because if you set it up right, what you need like one or two people to pay your rent. If you've got a good relationship with a gym, at least your first month or two, you break even, and then you've got an opportunity to pick up people from the gym and then do whatever you need to do. So that's awesome. So what's number two? What would you say the next thing is that you wish things you wish you had knew when you things you wish you had known when you started? Yeah. So I would say this is actually something that we did not do right away. Um, but I think finding your niche, like really niching down sooner rather than later, I think would have been really helpful in the beginning because we would have had someone specifically we were targeting. Um, and, and maybe we did it to some capacity, but we didn't think about it beforehand. Um, what do yeah, you say? Yeah, and right, because ideally when you go cash-based, I'm speaking from out-of-networking cash-based model, that's the way I started with, I was thinking anybody that can pay my rates, right? <laughs> but I didn't realize those who had the money to pay my rates, wealthy and affluent, they are that they are wealthy and affluent because they are frugal <laughs> and they are smart with their money. So or they, they have great insurance. Or they have great insurance that they want to use, right. right? So you start to think, oh, wait a minute. And then also sometimes they're not the healthiest. So they are active. They're not active where I'm I'm, I'm marketing and thinking I want to work with active people. They are they're adamant about being healthy and getting back to what they love to do, so they're willing to pay as much as they want need to pay. I started realizing that wasn't the case. And so when you when you think my my niche is people with money is not <laughs> like that that keeps it too broad, right? <laughs> and so I looking back at it now, I do believe my niche is what well, what well, was well, if I would have thought about it now, if I would if I know what I know now. If I know what I <laughs> if I know now what I what, well, if I wish I knew, we got it, we got it. if I knew what I, right, okay. <laughs> if I knew what I, <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, if oh, I knew gosh. then what I know now, right. I would, I would say, Hey, you know, your niche is the, a demographic who is active and already participating in 
boutique type of fitness, right? So your 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 rock box, your CrossFit, your Orange Theory, because they are already paying max type of dollars per month um, to be part of a group and a community, right? And how you how how they 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 really value being able to participate multiple times a week with that group and receive the benefits of how they work out and so forth. And when you when an injury takes away that from them, then they are desperate. You want my niche was the desperate avid worker workaholic, workoutaholic. I'm making that out. I'm making that out. But that's who was willing to pay 120 once a week until they got better. Right? And did the exercise that you asked them to do in between sessions, right? And so now I started to realize, okay, that was my niche that I should have been targeting as opposed to like these blanket ads of if you're in Charlotte, you, hi there, I'm in Charlotte now. <laughs> I, I opened a practice, you know? So that's different. Yeah. And like I said, I think to some degree, we did that like subconsciously, I guess, like through your Instagram posting, you know, targeting that population. But I think it would have been helpful if we sat down before you opened and said, hey, who are we targeting? Because that can help you with your marketing and everything. I don't just think it's that they miss the exercise when they're out. I think they miss the social interaction as well. Yes. You know, because sure. when people go there twice a week, whatever it is, that becomes their social network in a way. And it's like they miss their friends. They miss participating. They have a decrease in status because they're injured among their peers, mm -hmm. you know, their orange theory peers. Right. And so they're right. just there. That's a very strong drive because you can, you can find many different ways to work out. I mean, if you injure your shoulder, you can go for a jog. If you're into your knee, you can do an arm bike. But the problem is you're not with your people anymore. And I think that's, yeah. that's well, also you can pay $10 a month at planet fitness and work out. Right. Okay. So that's right. The, right. right. Exactly. Those, you, you make a good point. You make a good point, Carrie and Jared is because even people, it wasn't, the niche is not people that go to the gym and work out, right? It, it's, it's those that I specifically mentioned because it's, it's slight, it maybe some, not all the, not all the members at CrossFit and Orange Theory are competing against each other, but they at least competing against themselves, where it's a PR, like personal record, right? Or best, like when they start to put uh, measurements on their performance. So uh, how much did you clean today, Jared? How, how much did you back squat? Oh, it's, it's test day. It's test day. And you're over there only able to do goblet squats because you, your back hurts and you can't do a back squat. That really takes away from their experience and they're competitive within themselves. And that's what makes them say, you know what? I'm calling Jared. Jared says, well, it'll be 120 after he gives me the sale pitch. He's like, where do I sign? Do I need to come twice a week? Because yeah. I need to get back, right? Like that's a different animal that you're working with compared to Joe that pays $10 a month and he doesn't feel it when he doesn't go to Planet Fitness because $10 a month doesn't, you know, like that's pizza money. That's not, you can't even buy pizza with $10 a month. So it really doesn't even bother him. Like Joe is saying like, you know, I'm just not going to go to the gym. This little shoulder ache, I'm going to let it wear off and I may hopefully get like, I take some Advil and He's not thinking about paying 120 to help that shoulder, right? He'll just do leg machine exercises if he does go. I think some, yeah. some physios are, are scared of niching because they feel like they're going to exclude a certain group. If they niche down too hard, mm -hmm. then, well, does that mean I can't treat other people? Does that mean if a Medicare patient walks in the door? Like, and I, I think it's important to, to know that 
The term niche is not referring to the people you treat. The term niche is referring to your marketing. It's just that you mm -hmm. are niching your, your messaging to the outside world as being for a particular group. That doesn't mean that if somebody with a vestibular problem walks in your clinic, you can't work with that person. It just means that you're not advertising to that person. You're not marketing to that person. You can still be a generalist right. if you want to, but you can't have a general message to the whole world and think that everybody's going to listen to you. The more specific that person is that you talk to, the more specific they're going to go, oh, that message was for me. It's kind of like, you know, like the message in the bottle thing, you know, they, they, you want to be able, they want to be able to know that that message is for them. And if they don't know that, then they're not going to listen. They don't really care. So I think that that's smart, but you transition at some point in time and then you transition again because now I get the sense right from the brand, you know, we've, we, what was the name of the clinic when we first started working together? Cause it wasn't the performance doc. It was Movement Solutions Physical Therapy. Right. And I, I remember saying that I thought that I didn't like that name because it was way too general, right? It could, it's like, it just means mm. anything, right? I was like, Movement Solutions. Like, who the hell are we talking to here? And then we talked about, like, who you were actually serving. And then you told me that you had an Instagram called The Performance Doc. I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Just call the clinic, <laughs> The Performance Doc. So, and that, um, that unified the brand as a whole. And now the clinic is called the performance doc. But then once you did that, the whole thing became about performance, right? So that's athletes, but that's also, as you're talking about like orange theory, CrossFit, people that go to boutiques, they're also performing, you know, if they're trying to get their PR, that's their performance. Right. And so your niche essentially from what I can gather is anybody who, who prioritizes physical performance. And whether that be physical performance within themselves, being able to keep up with their peers, or that means physical performance in an amateur or a pro sport. Performance is essentially what brings everybody together at your clinic. And that becomes super clear now when you look at your branding. And I know a lot of clinics out there for whom they're still doing that old strategy of, we're just gonna solve every movement problem on the planet. And being a generalist has its place sometimes, but it can also create a problem because now you don't stand out against all of your competition right. that's around you. And there's so many clinics these days chomping at the bit to get at your, you know, your patients. And last thing about um, the niche, and then we'll move on, is that if I was to do my Instagram differently, I would, I would uh, label myself as something that I want to really market to. So I, a lot of these guys have done, they've made themselves like the ACL guy or the shoulder physio, the, the knee physio. Like I would even do that. If you really enjoy something and passionate about it from a marketing standpoint online, like be like to stick stand out from now a very saturated market in um, physical therapists, health and fitness um, trainers and so forth. So that's also another thing I would um, consider before starting. Right on. Let's go to number three, which I would have to say is that marketing skills and sales skills are more important than clinical skills when it comes to opening a practice. W would you agree? Mm -hmm. yes, yes. You know, that's very hard for the clinicians that are very clinical. Like they, I've been to many courses. I can manipulate necks, backs. I can do it. Like I can dry needle. I went to all the courses for dry needle, the best of the best. It's hard for them to swallow that, that another, Two, two, you have an, a therapist, two entrepreneurs. Entrepreneur A is an average clinician, but a great salesman. And 
an entrepreneur B is a great clinician and an average at best salesman, entrepreneur A is going to have more people in his clinic and raving about him as opposed to the entrepreneur B. And I, I think that kills the clinician. Mm -hmm. But that's one thing I wish I knew as well as I want to make clear to those that are thinking about starting their practice, really dive into marketing and sales skills. For sure. Yeah, I think um, you might have, I mean, Leon's very entrepreneurial. So like part of it just came to him, like he has a lot of charisma. So part of that was natural to him in terms of selling and marketing. But I would say you were more of that, like really thought your clinical skills could get you where you wanted to be. Um, but I think you learned pretty quickly, like, no, I need to put just as much effort into the marketing and selling as I do um, the clinical skills, because I'll never forget, like, especially when he's cash based, because again, you're not only selling your service, but now you're selling um, your service for a price that their insurance might have paid for before. Um, but he had like one lady come in for a free consultation. I think she worked at the gym maybe. And I just happened to be there. So I was in the office with him and, uh, she then like, he ended the consultation things went pretty well. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, yeah, what, tell me like, what is this going to cost me? That kind of thing. And Leon just like, he just tripped over his words. <laughs> no, I remember exactly what she said was, do you accept insurance? I said, no, <laughs> I don't. And it was one of those like, and I look back like, what the hell were you doing? Like that's that's the, that was my response. I said, no, I don't. Um, and then I said, well, and I went into the spiel about like, yeah, I can, you know, the reason why I don't is because I would give you the best care. They don't want to hear that, but um, at least that's what I did. And update, I never saw that patient ever again. Ever. Okay, okay, all right, yeah. But like, I think I think uh, stuff like that is where I didn't understand that the initial response, how to, uh, you know, really reroute a patient, finesse. Yeah, finesse and so forth is very important. That's when you, that's, but that's the sales part, right? That's the, the marketing, the sales um, aspect in which a lot of us don't know when we first start. We only think of like, in so many words, you're trying to convince them that you're the best and they have nothing to base that off of. If you haven't treated anybody in the area, right? Or you have very few uh, walking testimonies. On my Physio Mission podcast, which uh, I think I did about 30 episodes before COVID hit. And I was just like, I, I can't keep up with this. But now I'm, that's why I'm glad to be on this podcast because it scratches the podcast itch. But back when I was doing that one, I had a saying, which was impact, income, freedom. And... Uh, in many ways, I'm going to play devil, devil's advocate in this conversation because I do believe that that statement is still a little bit true, which is that as a clinician, you focus on making an impact first and then the income will come, right? Now, here's the thing. Do you think when you first started out that you were good at what you did? Well, I was one year out, so... Yeah, but, uh, but you're talented, so... Would you say that you were you treated like you were one year out, or did you think that you had a certain something about your clinical skills? Oh yeah, he was more advanced um, than most people one year out. I would agree with that. I just think, but he's just learned so much now that he looks back and says, "And I'm like, oh, I wasn't." <laughs> 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 but you're right. Like I think, I think I to answer your question, I thought I was, I thought I was good enough to go out on my own because I had taken a number of courses and I thought I at least could get most people better, whoever walked in the door at that time. 
I learned more as I went, but I definitely had the confidence I thought I was. Right. That's it. So like on a scale of zero to 10, where do you think your confidence was when you opened your practice? Treating? Yeah, treating. 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 treating I, I, I thought I was about an eight. I thought I would get 80% better. Like, yeah. That's, that's exactly what I mean. I may, I may, I may, I'm, I'm, I may be like, I carried myself like I was a 10, but like deep down, I would say about eight, yeah, eight. And I think that's what it is. I actually think that's the magic number. I think that once a therapist hits a confidence level of an eight, that's when they should switch their focus to marketing and sales and take fewer con ed courses and go and take a lot more marketing and sales. I think when the, I think a lot of clinicians, like for instance, for instance, you and I both went back to PT school well after we graduated from college, right? How, right. how old were you when you went back? I was 27, I think. So you were six years out, seven years out of school, six or seven. Right. Okay. Okay, fine. So I was 10 years out and when you go back, you have like this mentality when you're a little bit older, like you've seen the world, you've interacted with people. There's some level of professional comfort, if you will. A lot of new grads, I think they're in high school. They go from high school to DPT. Excuse me. <laughs> they go from high school to college. They come fresh out of college. They go into grad school. They come out of grad school. They've never really worked in a professional setting at all. And when they first go and they're working in a professional setting, I think there's some degree of confidence issues that some new physios have. And you see it when you work in bigger clinics with the new, the new clinicians there, you can tell that they're acting confident, but you, you read their notes and you talk to them and you can tell they don't really know what they're doing yet. And if you were to ask them on a scale of zero to 10, what's your confidence level with being able to treat anybody that walks in the door, I think you'd get a lot of fives and sixes. Once you feel confident enough. And I think the enough is eight out of 10. And you're like, okay, am I ready to go out on my own? I think the answer is when you can say that your confidence level is an eight, then you're ready to switch your focus to marketing and sales. I think the second mistake is not studying enough about marketing and sales when you go out on your own. I remember when I was at, um, might've been Greg Todd's event. And I was sitting at dinner with a bunch of physios who all wanted to go out on their own, of course. Right. And they all felt decent about their skills, but none of them had studied marketing or sales and they were all trying to start their own businesses. And, and to me, I thought, okay, that is one way to do it. But the better way to do it, of course, is to try to learn as much as you can about the process of marketing and selling yourself and you might make it anyway, you know, it just, it's going to take a lot longer. It might cost you more and it's going to be a hell of a lot more frustrating. So anyway, that's my thought on it. And I think, I think you guys would agree because the performance doc Academy does have a clinical faction to it. Right. I mean, it's like, listen, I got to teach you how to treat as well. I have my book and my teachings where we're like, listen, I think there is some degree of clinical confidence and clinical expertise that is necessary before you move on to the next step. And I think that's because to try to tackle clinical confidence and marketing and sales confidence at the same time is hard, but you don't have to get to 100% with your clinical stuff. Eight out of 10, I think, right. will do it. And that's my thoughts on it, but I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys think. No, I completely agree. I think uh, that eight out of 10 allowed me to, to, have, to display a certain level of confidence when people came in, right? Can you imagine saying I charge 120 and really having no idea what you're doing, like, and not being able to show that, like, so do your best to make sure you're eight out of 10. And ultimately, most people that are going to be interested in our podcast and what we're trying to teach them, 
they are for the most part are gonna feel confident enough to treat, right? Like Agreed. The, yep. It's it's the idea of like, oof, that I don't know how to sell, sell or market anything. Like all I every patient that I have received or worked with up until this point has been through a referral from a doctor or the practice, the private practice in which I have worked for, they have a reputation. Like they, I, I never had to go out and make a call, do a, do a seminar, get in front of people and say, you need me, right? And this is why, and this is how I'm gonna help you. Be able to perform at a better level than you currently are, right? That's different. And so um, that's, I think, a very big uh, component going forward and that's what I that's what I wish I would have known going when I started out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sum it up. You need about an 8 out of 10 confidence to go from the clinical side over to thinking about opening up your own business. And then you want to invest in a program like the Performance Doc Academy that'll bring your marketing and sales confidence up to an 8 out of 10 because you don't need a 9, you don't really need a 10. And then right. when you go out on your own, you are pretty much guaranteed to do well because now you feel good on the clinical side and you feel competent on the marketing and sales side. And I think that's ultimately the key is you spend like what, 200 grand, 250 grand to get good clinically, but are you investing in yourself as a entrepreneur, as someone opening a business? And I think that's essentially what physios need to think about and they need reliable resources because there's a lot of, why don't we just say mediocre suggestions and programs and things for people to look at out there. And you got to be a little careful about what you listen to it. If you, if you get a little bit too eager, you make mistakes like, you know, opening a practice. And the first thing you do is start running Facebook ads. I mean, that that's not like the best place to start. It's a great way to waste a bunch of money because they're not the easiest things to do. Right. So anyway, that's cool. What, what do you think would be next? Um, I think I would say just like learning how to speak to patients. I think they, need to be heard and so not they don't just like want you to solve their problem and that's it like they want to be listened to especially in this medical climate that we're in where you know you go to your doctor you have 15 minutes you forget all the questions you meant to ask them and then they're out of the room before you even got a chance to say what you need to say or ask the questions you needed to ask so i think sometimes especially we've seen like with newer grads they come in and like they ask all the questions during subjective and then just go right to looking at how can they solve the problem um, rather than just like, let me just take a minute, let me just sit down, let me listen to what their fears are, what they're worried about, um, why this injury is limiting them, you know, like what really brought them here, it's probably not pain. Um, so just really sitting down, listening to the patients. If you look at like our Google reviews, so many people, that's what they say. They say, I felt heard, right? Um, so I think it just shows you how important that is for patients to then want to refer other people to you as well. Yeah. Patient relationships is the main thing that I think allow me to build a reputation quickly other than like, you know, sales and seminars and so forth. Like once they became a patient, I was able to establish a relationship with them through my subjective. I used to tell the students that came um, once I built up a caseload that take the subjective should be the longest, right? Part of it. Uh, because you get a chance for one, it's going to dictate where you go with the evaluation, but two, you're going to be able to learn, okay, why they're truly coming, how you can help them, right? 
And then also, they usually give you some form of, this is how you can tie me in in a personal way with my goals, right? And once you find those, then it's easy for you to consistently say, this is what we're working towards. These are your goals. I'm, I'm all in. This is how I can help you. This is what I'm going to do. And in two or three weeks, let's do it. We'll be able to do it, right? Like that, that is a different delivery as opposed to, all right, um, after five minutes of listening to them, this is what this is what's going wrong. This is what is wrong. X, Y, Z, and this is how long it's going to take. And um, let's get started next week, right? Like that's a different delivery. And so um, I, I really believe in the patient relationships, and it has actually been a staple even when I've grown my practice now to being in network with insurance. I think it's only allowed me to still be different, right, from other competitors that accept insurance. I, I agree. And I, I think that, um, I think there are two beliefs that a patient needs to have when they start out therapy. Belief number one, they have to believe that they can get better. And belief number two is they have to believe that you are the person that can help them. And I think that when you don't spend the time fostering those two beliefs, first, they have to believe they can get better. And in order for them to believe that they, ha- they can get better, who has to believe in them? The therapist. And there's no way the patient's ever going to know that the therapist believes in them if all the therapist is doing is thinking about getting them through the exam, taking tests so they can write the plan and then start treatment, right? It really requires them to establish a relationship because that belief has to mean something. Once, once a patient believes in you and that you can help them and then they believe in themselves, those, those two beliefs will carry you on for months and months and months of therapy as long as you take the time to establish those beliefs in the first place. And I think you're right. It starts with the subjective exam and it is about asking questions, but one of the biggest things I I know that you probably see this too, that students miss is the listening part where they'll ask the question with the intention of asking the question, but they forget to pause after asking the question and listen hard enough to actually realize that they don't understand the answer. So the patient will start answering. They'll start talking. Mm. The answer won't make any sense. And then you'll see the, the student just ask the next question. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll usually pause the student and I'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you understand anything that the patient just said? And they'll be like, um, no. I'll be like, well, then you need to ask follow-up questions right. and try right. your best to understand everything that they're telling you, not just ask the question with the intention of getting the answer. It's ask the question with the intention of understanding the answer. And to do that, you have to have a real conversation. And I think that's when you get back to, you know, if you had to hire somebody, would you rather hire somebody who's got good hands, like good clinical skills or somebody who's got good people skills? Like, what would you say you'd prefer to? I mean, I think it's good people skills all day. All day, right? Good people skills. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All day, any day. Because it, it buys you time with the patients. It does. If you don't know what's going on with them. You know how many people paid me 120? I wasn't getting them better. <laughs> but they liked me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then there are people you can't get. You can't get. When you get that relationship right, there are some people that you can't get them to stop paying you. Even after you don't want to see them anymore. Or they're done or whatever. Is they, they just you know, they won't leave. And it's like, that's you, when you know you that did it. So you're doing true. something right. Right. I mean, it's like, 
when, when they want to be with you so badly because you've got so much value to give, like that's, that's powerful. One last thing about that, which is true is it's even it's exponentially true now that I'm in insurance and people meet their deductible out of pocket or they only have a $14 copay. They stay on the book. Oh, forget like, they they oh, put they put Leon Knight in their calendar on repeat, and they do not set an end date. <laughs> how 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 many weeks do you want this to repeat? Infinity. Just let it go on as long as I possibly can. When the insurance company starts calling me, I'll stop. You know, <laughs> it's true. Oh man! All right, that brings us to number five. Number five, which. I would have to say is the grind mentality and that it is promulgated left and right that it's all about the grind. And mm. I know that you don't think that that's true. And I agree with you. So why don't we talk about that? That's right. Well, I used to use that word consistently with a certain amount of pride and confidence because it was almost like a badge of honor. Like, like I'm grinding, I'm, I'm grinding. You're not. Right, like I'm doing, I'm doing so much more than you, and I got five I hours of sleep. How many did you get? Six. <laughs> Give me a freaking break. Who needs six? Six. I'm living on two. I was... <laughs> because I haven't eaten in six days. <laughs> when I, when you do that, you completely forget uh, about the saying work smarter, not harder, right? And I didn't realize that until working with the, I'm going, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but really speaking with other entrepreneurs and those that I really believed were mentors to me, where they would talk about, set, set some time away for yourself, right? Make sure you still work out, make sure you do these things, right? Because that's not taking away from what you can get done. That's adding, that's allowing you to re-energize, refuel for what you need to get done. But more importantly, this is a marathon, right? This is not a sprint. And that mentality, if you have a sprint mentality, you're going to, just like a fa the fast switch fibers, right? They are going to fatigue quickly, right? You're not going to be able to run or sprint much longer after that 100 meter dash, right? And so... The idea was like, okay, let's transition, let's put ourselves in in a play, put ourselves in positions where we can consistently see growth. Make sure you almost look at things as a process. Always look at it as a process. You have phases, right? Start thinking of it as okay, I have different parts of the process that I'm trying to achieve, and put timelines on them. But you don't have this like. I used to think, I, I used to do the opposite. I used to go, all right, Carrie, we've got to do this, that, and that. And it always been, it always was like that. Like, not really, not really time sensitive. It just means like, we got to do it now. Carrie, why you didn't, call? we got to call five people today. We got to do, we got to go out to see five uh, gems. We got to, it was more, it was always like present and now. And that would just run you ragged because if you have that, if you have that thought process, then you're filling up your schedule when you wake up until you go to sleep if you go to sleep that i'm sure that was really fun carrie yeah yeah i'm glad that this is one of them maybe we can save a save a spouse you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I you know 
I think you're right. I mean, I think like people in popular media too, like Gary Vee and some folks who use that term, the grind. And it's, you said like a badge of honor. I, I, I agree. I think it's kind of like people think it like status. Like if you're grinding, then, then that's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs grind. If you're not grinding, you're not an entrepreneur. But I, I think that it's not, it's good for you to have the balance you need to get to the gym. You need to get your sleep. You need to get your meals done. Like, that's also true. But I don't think people realize that it helps your business when you don't grind. And here's what I mean. If you own a really, really good restaurant, you could pack the tables in, squish them as close together, take reservations when, you're, when you don't really have a table available, whatnot, to get, to get in, to get everybody in that calls. But then the service is bad. Uh, you can't cook the food fast enough. There's longer wait times. People book reservations and there's no table available. And eventually that restaurant starts to get bad reviews because they have to sacrifice quality. The flip side of that is let's say a restaurant that only has 10 tables and you can never get one. And the wait to get in to see the, to get a table, you got to call in advance. You got to call a week in advance. And then they get five stars because everybody loves the experience. Which one of those two restaurants lasts longer? It's the one that you can't get a table at, right? I mean, like right. fitting everybody into your day isn't necessarily a benefit to your business. Being able to say to people, I'm booked out for two weeks. I can get you an evaluation in two weeks. Okay, you might lose that person. But when you get to say that, you are creating higher demand for the product that you offer. Everybody wants to see the physio that's got no openings in their schedule. Nobody wants right. to see the physio that can get in last minute because that means that there's holes in their schedule. And it's like the mentality of protecting your time, protecting your space and thinking about it like what you're delivering is fine dining and packing it in and just putting people wherever it's not going to help. What it's going to do is it's just gonna, it's going to wear you out. It's going to affect the product that you're delivering and it's going to make it look like, you know, you're struggling. You're just you're just trying to get get it done. That's not the perception you want. You want people to think like that this place is so awesome. This person is so good that they're hard to get in to see. And the way that you create that initially is you set time aside when you're treating patients and when you're not treating patients. You just you create an opening big enough, but not so big that you start essentially wearing yourself out. And I think so it works better for you. I also feel it works better for your business because of the kind of perception it creates in your potential customer. You know what I mean? Yes, mm -hmm. definitely. And I, I think that moves me into this, the sixth um, thing or, or which I wish I would have known was working with a mentor help me see all those things right i my my i always thought and I, I remember someone telling me this i can't i can't remember if it was you or not jared but they said you can grind right as a solo person no matter who you are if you really want to and make six figures you can grind and make six figures but they said in order to become wealthy and, and jump to the seven-figure type of income, you have to work smarter, right? Not harder. You can't work harder to make seven figures. 
right? Consistently. You have to delegate. You have to do these things. But more importantly, you have to be very strategic. And the strategy is what a mentor has brought to me that has now simply helped me go from a solo or a solopreneur to now an entrepreneur that has a practice that's not just one practice one 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 practitioner we have three full-time therapists we have a full-time front desk person and i can't thank everyone i've worked with especially you jared who has now like said okay well yeah you want to dream big but uh, here, let's talk about the strategy and the template to put in place that allows you to when you do get the momentum it's seamless it's not like the restaurant example where you're like oh shoot now you see that they the, the, they don't their operations are flawed right because now they can't handle or control the influx of patients and so the strategies and systems and the okay i'm gonna give you a, some homework i want you to get this done first because I would say, Jared, what about this? What about this? I've got to move. But I'm still trying to dictate and move in a, in a way that was just like now, 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 now. You said, hey, well, well, no, wait, wait a minute. Let's do this first. I haven't completely. You do this. I haven't completely cured you of that. <laughs> <laughs> but that has been very helpful. Yeah. And that a mentor and what I paid Jared has been paid back exponentially. Right. Like there's no, no question I have made a significant amount of money and advancements in what I'm trying to accomplish compared to what I've paid Jared. And I would do it all over again. He can increase his rates. I would do it all over again. Oh, you tell me now? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and I think, I think too, like, I mean, there's, there's times when you work with a mentor and then there's been times in the business where we haven't worked with a mentor. And as soon as we start working with another mentor or, you know, this going back to the same person, like, it's like, oh, wow. We should have done this sooner. Like every single time that's happened. Like it's like, yes, we need this. You know, this is so important to just help us grow. It's important for our relationship because it gets us on the same page. Like mm. it's important for the, the relationship that we have with our staff. Like all of it. It just it matters so much. Um, and it just helps us so much. And every time we take a pause from one and then we get back, it's like, yes, we should have got back to this sooner. I, it's interesting that you say that. I caught on to the two things there. I'll go with the second one first. If you open a business with your life partner, your wife, your husband, mm -hmm. your partner, whatever, having that third person on the conversation is so important. I can remember when, 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 when Karen and I had any business conflict, when there was another person in the room, even if it wasn't a mentor, to just listen to the conversation was helpful. And then it's even better when you have someone in the room who actually knows what the hell they're talking about, who can say, listen, yes. I'm going to give you a fresh perspective on this. So that is definitely true. The second thing is as a consultant, I work in the physical therapy domain, but I work with other businesses as well. And I work with entrepreneurs and I work with people that do that. Are, I work with lawyers and uh, I'm working with somebody now who does uh, corporate leadership coaching and coaching is coaching. It doesn't really matter what business you're in. Everybody runs into the same problems as an entrepreneur for the most part. When I coach coaches, so when I do consulting for people that do consulting for a living or that do coaching for a living, they have no ability 
to mentor themselves the way they would their clients. Like they can't see mm. past their own shit, right? They can't, mm -hmm. they can't brand themselves. They can't coach themselves. It's nearly impossible. It would be a little bit like a psychiatrist psychologizing their own mental disorder. It's very, very difficult to do. You can't see, it's like if you get hurt, if you're a physical therapist and you get hurt, sometimes you can help yourself. But a lot of times you go and ask another therapist, like, hey, can you work on me, right? Because you need that outside perspective. So I think the need to have an outside perspective on what it is you're trying to do is a universal issue because it's way too hard to see your own shit and to get out of your own way sometimes. And us entrepreneurs want to go in a million directions at once. It's like we get all these ideas. I think I've had like three or four business ideas that I was like in the last week that I've probably started a little bit. I'm like, dude, I just talked about like, stop, stop starting things. It's not, it's not helpful. Right? So when you work with a, when you work with a coach or a mentor, I mean that person, and we're going to, I feel like we can use those terms synonymously almost like a mentor is a coach, a coach is a mentor. They kind of fall into the same domain. So when you work with a coach mentor, it's like that person gets you focused. I remember, um, I was in a marketing workshop. I don't remember who it was and I don't remember, I have his book, but anyway, he calls it a circle of focus, right? So he says, if you're, if you're doing something and you're focused on it, let's say you're launching a podcast, okay? And then you have a circle, so you draw a circle and then you put the podcast in the middle of the circle. You say, okay, it's like a pie chart. What percentage of your energy are you focusing on the podcast? Well, the answer is obviously 100%. Okay, let's say you add one more thing in there. Let's say you add writing a book and then you add that into the circle. Well, now what's the pie chart say? Well, now you got only 50% of your energy on the podcast and 50% of your energy on the book. Most of us entrepreneurs have like 10 things in that circle. And so how much energy are you putting on any one thing? A good mentor, a good coach really, will get you to stop doing that and to focus only on the next thing you need to do to be successful rather than doing 9 million things at once. And I think that's really the key is most people have the capacity to teach themselves how to do things, but they have no clue what order to do them in or what's important or how to take shortcuts and hacks in order to get there faster. I mean, everybody can get there. I mean, with enough mistakes, anybody can get anywhere. But working with a mentor will stop you from making those mistakes and they will cut your growth curve, you know, exponentially. Instead of taking it five years for you to grow your practice, it'll take one or two. Right. Instead of taking 10 years to pay back your student loans, it'll take one or two. I mean, that's a huge difference monetarily and also for our own psychosocial, emotional state. If you can get out of the grind, get focused and get to where you need to be faster, I mean, that's huge on so many levels for, for most people. So working with a mentor is definitely a huge way to do that, which kind of brings us to an offering, if you will, uh, an opportunity, which is that the performancedocacademy.com, if you head there, you will have the opportunity to work with either Carrie, Leon, or myself. We're going to each help you in a different domain. Leon is going to help you more if you have questions or issues on the clinical side working with athletes. So that's going to be, you're not sure how to talk to athletes, what they need, how to get them better, how to do return to sport. If you have questions about the insurance game and how to actually 
run the front desk, run the insurance, Carrie's the right person to go to. And if you have questions about marketing and sales, I'm the right person to go to. But that's essentially the components of the, all the components of the business, the clinical side, the front of the house, the back of the house, it, it's all covered. So if anybody has any questions or they want to work with one of us, head over to the performancedocacademy.com and, and get in touch. I mean, that's, that's the best way. Well, thank you guys for listening. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Performance Doc Academy podcast. Make sure to head over to www.performancedocacademy.com where you can learn everything that you need to know about how to start, grow, and eventually sell your very own physical therapy practice. We are going to teach you step by step. It is all of the information and knowledge that we wish that we had when we started out in our own practices. And this is going to save you thousands and thousands of dollars in mistakes. Head over to www.performancedocacademy.com. We'll see you there.